as I suspected, I received an incredible email from Robert Walters this morning, having not known why God put us together, just knowing that in fact he did. This guy sends me this unbelievable story of his divorce and the legal system and how corrupt and evil and how he thought for sure the court would help him out. I mean, it was so uncannily similar to my story. It's not surprising anymore. These kind of things happen to me all the time, but God is so good, and it was just incredible. So I've gotten this email from him. He's seen part one. He has not seen part two yet. He is going to absolutely melt when he sees it, and that's why uh, God wanted us to meet. So I can't wait to see what his reaction is after he sees part two. But God is good and continues to show faithful to his word. As I abide in him, he produces fruit through me effortlessly of not my own strength um, or abilities. I want to remind people that you can always trust God. Incidentally, it turns out to be 11.22 right now. As I'm watching my phone, it changed from 11.21 to 11.22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I want to make sure that I remember to tell people that they can have faith and trust God no matter what the results are. In other words, in spite of what they may ask Him for, they can still trust God. People may say, well, Mike, how can you say you trust God? You asked for God to... Um, save your marriage and he didn't save your marriage how could i not trust god he had something much better in store for me that i could ever imagine people's lives are now being changed and i enjoy a relationship with god that i could have never have enjoyed without having gone through that so if god doesn't give me the specific thing i'm asking for i can trust that he's going to give me something that's even better that god absolutely has the better people say well mike i've been praying for my relative to get set free from cancer and I might say to that person, you know what? Even if they die, you may not feel like God answered their prayer, but I promise you, you couldn't convince that person who's now in heaven with Father God and Jesus Christ and all the angels and all of the love and the blessings of heaven. You cannot convince that person that God has wronged them or wasn't faithful or couldn't be trusted. You know, in our little finite understanding, we might say, oh, we didn't get what we wanted. It was too, too wrong for you to take away, you know, um, the little child with a tumor and how dare you do this? God always works things together for his good. Always God is able to bring good out of these things. I mean, the, the bottom line is we can ask God for what we think we need, hopefully according to his will, or we won't get it. Um, but we can trust God even when the results don't come out like we think. Somehow or another, God works all that in for our good and his glory ultimately. And so you have faith in God and God is good even when you don't get exactly what you want, how you want it, when you want it type of thing. I just got back from my Bible study tonight, Thursday night. It's 927 on the 24th of October. And the Bible study tonight went amazing. I took a huge risk. Told them that I needed to preach to them for about an hour and 15 minutes or so. And I basically told the guys, look... You know, we got to quit playing patty cake with God. We can't pretend like we can have our cake and our sin too. And we fool ourselves. And I basically told them, if we cannot get free of our sin, you know, we're going to hell. That's what the Bible says, period, end of story. Whether we like it or not, it's the truth. And I explained and showed them all in scriptures and, you know, how we have to uh, turn from our ways. And showed them how that the the main culprit that keeps all Christians in bondage is unforgiveness. And I led the guys through a very powerful time of prayer we all got on our knees and prayed and several of the guys were crying and i'm just i'm really thankful i'm really thankful we prayed that god would bless our enemies and 
it was it was a really awesome experience and i'm just praying that the guys are blessed by it and uh, anyhow the other thing i'm a little confused by i want to capture this is i've seen 919 at least four or five times today that's a record and then I saw 525 as well, and I've at first have been thinking, Lord, was this about the Bible study? Are you telling me not to do the whole... It's weird because I've seen this twice now, the day before the Bible study, where I've seen 919s, and I'm like, what? Oh, you don't want me to do this, Lord? Um, I... Uh, turns out the last time it was going to be that because I got some job offers, but this time I'm confused. I haven't gotten any job offers yet or anything. But um, that's a lot of times in one day to see 919. I don't know what God's trying to tell me. So I'm getting ready to go pray and see what it is. But I got a feeling that I should be getting like some kind of a video job or job offer or something. And maybe God is going to sandwich again. Um, because he knows that I'm you know so desperate for money and the time's just dragging on and on and on, so we'll see. And I've been seeing two, two, two quite a bit as well. I just saw it, as a matter of fact, on the phone right now. But I don't know. We'll see. It's six oh one right now. I'm making this recording. It's the twenty fifth of October, um, six oh one p.m. And last night I pushed in on the gates of hell, and uh, I'm feeling it today. <laughs> I'm feeling it today. I've had um, not a terrible day at all. Um, but this afternoon I found myself really struggling. I didn't have a chance to go do a long prayer walk. I'm really going to have to find a new routine as it gets really cold. But, um, I just went for my prayer walk today and actually sitting in the hot tub last night when I got back. And even I think this morning, I really just have not been able to press in with God. It just, it's like I'm, there's something blocking it. It's really weird. I, I don't know how to describe it, but it feels like it's all effort, whereas it feels like the Spirit has left the building for some reason, and I don't know why. I'm on my walk today, and <clears throat> I've uh, started to cry a little bit because I felt like I've been disobedient to God about the 701 and storing up the commands, and um, I'm seeing 801 right now, and I've seen that a couple times today, and that's about being tested in the desert. You know, you get to this place where you can have some very vulnerable thoughts. I mean, I was banging on hell's doors last night and bringing guys to the foot of the cross again to forgive, get to give forgiveness, to get free, and to start walking this Christian life out. And, man, I feel like I'm getting hammered today. And, um, I, like I say, I was just really worried that God has been asking me to memorize the teachings of Jesus Christ, and it's violating my conscience because... I am doing a lot of things but that. I'm in the Word. I'm studying the Word. I'm reading a couple of books. I'm, you know, doing my daily ministry videos. I'm doing all the right things, but yet I'm not doing the one thing that it seems like God keeps telling me to do, <clears throat> and that's memorizing. And it is, um, it's really bothering me. I know the Scriptures well enough. There's very few Scriptures, I think, particularly in the red letters in red, that, you know, I could run my eyes across that I wouldn't be able to almost articulate, you know, for the most part of it, uh, right now, but I don't know chapter and verse, and I know God keeps wanting me to know them, and, um, be able to recall them off the top of my head in a conversation, and it's just so hard for me to just sit. I feel like I have to be, 
you know, working on something or reading or studying or meditating or just loving on God in my mind and the idea of just mundane repetition, as much as I love the words of Jesus Christ, there is some sort of a, I mean, I know it must be a spiritual, you know, force, a spiritual battle here of, you know, trying to prevent me from breaking through and doing this. So I felt like I was beating myself up about it a little today and saying, man, you know, if I had a gun to my head, it's just like somebody that I'm telling you need to set your sin down. And they keep saying, I can't, I can't. Well, it's like I'm saying to God, I can't, I can't. And there's an 801 right there on the back of this license plate. I've been praying for God to, to encourage me this evening. And um, he's showing me two 801s, which is, I guess, letting me know, you know, that it's a test. So um, anyhow, I digress. I've got to place an order here. But um, I'm going to really try to get back into to, uh, memorizing the teachings of Jesus and be obedient because I feel like if I put a gun to my head, I would have no problem doing it. It's not, it's not that it's too hard. It's that my motivation's wrong. So I'm going to work on that. And I've asked the Father to help me. I also just want to capture while I'm this feeling hammered on, um, God showed me 801 three times today, and that is Deuteronomy 801 about being very careful to obey His commands, and um, it's all about being tested. And then I came out of the drive-thru and I looked down and it's 616. I also had noticed that it was 555 a little while ago when I picked up my phone, actually uh, 25 minutes ago, and I was excited to see that. And then I see the 616, which is Ephesians 616. And finally, take up the shield of faith with which to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And one thing I want to make a note of is when I am under attack like this, I don't just feel like one bad thing. I feel like everything's not going to come true. Today, I could see myself entertaining thoughts of uh, Laura's never going to happen. That's a pipe dream. You might as well get over that. Um, you're not going to have any finances. You're sitting here waiting for a, another pipe dream. You're a fantasy dreamer. Nobody's going to ever send you any money to bail you out. God's not got this. Um, I also hear you're also going to get bad news from the court. God's not going to deliver you. You're washed up. You said no to all that, those jobs. So it's an overwhelming. He tries to overwhelm. Funny thing is, I've been doing this long enough to where I can recognize it without it kind of really getting on me so much. So I'm doing okay, um, but it's real. And I think to myself, man, how important is it for people to understand this when they're going through this? I mean, as much time as I spend with the Father and I cling to Him with everything I have, how hard it must be for other people. Granted, I think you're only attacked in direct proportion to how much you press into your relationship with God. So somebody that's not pressing in as deep is not being as attacked as much and vice versa. But, um, you know, man, it's important. Put on the shield of faith. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. 9.39 a.m., uh, October 25th, 2013. I'm on my way out to my Governor's Drive Starbucks office. Going to meet my buddy David and get caught up with him. I woke up this morning at 5.25. I looked at the clock and I said, really, God? And I was like, I saw 9.19 five times, I think, yesterday. 5.25 at least once. I woke up this morning at 
And I said, God, what, you know, and I had a little anxiety <clears throat> about, did I get it, did I, did I get ahead of the father in the Bible study? You know, it seems like this happened to me one time before the night that I was going to start the Bible study. The day of, I saw several 222s, 919s, and I'm like, God, what do you, if you want me to stop this, I'll stop it right now. So last night I concluded that it must be that I'm getting ready to get a job offer, meaning, you know, video work or something's going to come. Um, again, God knowing that I need the money tremendously. I suspect since I saw 919 four times or five times in one day and then 525, I also woke up this morning and checked my email and noticed that I've received another contact from a guy named Sean. And um, Sean is reached out to me twice via email saying, hey, call me. And I don't know what he's wanting to talk to me about, but I suspect it's going to have something to do with business. And uh, the father is warning me in advance of it. So um, I also got confirmation because last night I was praying and I said, Father, just please let me know that I'm on track with you and that you're wanting me to, to preach this hard message, Lord, because it is hard. And I, I'm not able to get the approval of men when I preach a message that's hard. And I need your approval, Father. I don't want the approval of men. I need you to tell me that I'm on the right path. And um, the message I preached yesterday was a result of me seeing the number 1242 over and over and over. And where I finally realized it was page 1242 in my Bible, which takes us to that passage in Ezekiel where God says, if a righteous man turns from his ways, will he not die in his sins? He will surely die. And it's the whole passage of where, you know, Israel says, oh God, you're so unjust. And he says, am I the one that's unjust or is it you that's unjust? And the passage starts out with a warning that to Ezekiel, man of God, if you do not warn men to turn away from their wicked ways, they will die in their sins, but I will hold you accountable for their blood. So I had been seeing that and I'm going, man, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It's kind of like God is training me in this. It's like when I had lunch with my neighbor lady, my neighbor widow, and she just casually told me this funny story she thought about how when she retired 25 years ago from this one company that she wanted her tools, she offered to buy them, and her manager said, I could easier steal them for you than I could sell them to you. A couple days later, she gets a phone call from a lady who has her tools and wants her to meet her at the door to give them to her. I woke up two times in the middle of the night, a couple days later, worried about that. That that in fact is something that is a is a, a deed that was stealing. And even though you know my neighbor didn't intentionally steal them, she took tools from somebody that they were not theirs to give. So she received essentially stolen items. This was my concern, and so I brought it to her attention. And Father wanted me to talk to her about it. And I just a couple of days, I'm like, Lord, really? I mean, she's 85 years old, and She's such a sweet lady, and I don't want to ruin the relationship I have with her, and it wouldn't go away. And I knew I needed to say something to this lady. I prayed for God's timing. I walked by her a couple of times and didn't feel the timing was right. And one day I was walking back from a prayer walk, and there she was, sitting on her back porch. And I knew God, oh, she was actually working in her side yard, and I just knew the Holy Spirit said, now, go. So I went, and I said, hey, I want to talk to you. And I set her down on the back porch, and <clears throat> I said, I need to tell you something that may make you feel a little uncomfortable. And I could tell she began to prepare herself like, okay. And I ended up sharing it with her and I felt so much better. It did, The things that I worried that would happen didn't happen. And it didn't matter if they were going to happen or not. I get to a point where I know I'm supposed to obey and I obey. Period. End of story. I'm not going to 
you know, sure I have those feelings of fear, but I'm going to overcome the feelings of fear because I'm more afraid of not obeying God than I am of the, you know, consequences of, of disobeying. So I shared that with her and um, I told her, I said, just pray about it. And she explained to me some more of the story that made me feel a little bit better about it. But I also know that um, I told her, I said, look, just, just put it before the Lord and ask him how you would respond. She said, do you think I should throw him away? And I said, no, I think you should really just seek the Lord and ask him to tell you. And if he feels like maybe you're supposed to, you know, send them a check or whatever, just, I just wanted the Lord to make her make the decision. And, but I wanted her to bring it before the, the Lord and let him tell her what she needs to do and protect her heart in the matter. So I warned her. Well, after last night, warning these guys, basically with a hellfire damnation message, you know, it's funny, my stepfather on the way home says, man, you brought back a lot of memories from when I was growing up. And I said, really? I said, what? He goes to the hellfire damnation. He wasn't being disrespectful at all. But the reality is, is that that is a part of the Bible. Yes, there's a part of love, but there's a part of if you don't turn from your wickedness, if you don't turn from sin, if you think you've received Jesus Christ and you continue to live like you haven't, you really are going to end up in hell. That's just the way it is. It's black and it's white. So I shared this message with the guys last night and it was heavy. But we got to a place where everybody concluded that forgiveness was something that they wanted to go through in order to get freedom. And they agreed to forgive all of the people in their lives that have hurt them. And um, I think there's some real freedom and some awesome stories that are going to come out of this. But I still had prayed, God, show me that I'm on the right path. Because I didn't feel the warm and fuzzies last night with God when I was praying. And I don't mean them like warm and fuzzies, but I mean there was a there was a little bit of distance and I said father what is this you know and so this morning I wake up and today's devotional from Greg Laurie is about the watchman and it's from the exact passage in Ezekiel that I had just preached from last night about if you watchmen do not warn them their blood will be on your hands and then the other devotion was about protecting your family and I'm just like, you know, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for, for helping me uh, and having given me some confirmation. All right, so that's the other thing I want to capture. Um, so then we're standing there watching TV this morning. I'm looking through the window while I'm cleaning dishes, and my mom has the news on, and they were showing a scene from downtown, and this lady with dark, dark, long brown hair standing there kind of dancing with a beer in her hand. And she was kind of dancing a little weird, you know. And my mom goes, did that look like Laura to you? And I, first thing out of my mouth, first of all, I hadn't even thought of Laura when I was looking at that lady. Second of all, I said, no way that's not Laura. Laura would never act like that. And my mom's like, <laughs> she started laughing. And I said, she said, kind of sounds like you live in a little bit of a fantasy land. And I said, mom, that's exactly what you thought when I walked into a courtroom with no attorney after God had told me 18 months earlier to fire my attorney. And now you've seen him deliver me four times. She said, have you gotten word from the court yet on this last one? I said, no. She goes, well, how do you know he's delivered you? I said, mom, because he's told me. He's delivered me every single time. My God delivers me. And I said, look at how miserable my circumstances are. And yet I am. I have more hope, more joy, more, more peace and happiness than any person I... And actually what I said was, I'm the brokest person I know and I'm one of the happiest people I know. I said, I have a peace and a happiness that is going way beyond my circumstances and that's exactly what God is proving 
in this season of my life that you can be happy, you can be peaceful, you can feel security, you can feel content, you can feel pleasure, you can feel a sense of security and well-being, you can feel an absence of fear in spite of the fact that your circumstances might be dire. And the reality is, is that I have not yet faced the consequences that I dread in my circumstances. The things that would really hurt me have not come to pass yet. There are no immediate consequences of me not having paid child support in six months, two months of which my kids were with me full time and then they have parents that are taking care of them. How do we not know that God's not allowing the in-laws and the wife who took the kids out of my home to experience some of their own pain? experience some of their own consequences. How do we not know that he's not using this misery in their life to bring them to the end of themselves? How do we not know? Because I haven't experienced the consequences yet that I should be worried about. I'm not in jail. I haven't received anything from the court yet. And even if I did, I still know and believe God will deliver me. So I have peace in the meantime. Why would I stand and worry about circumstances when God has told me he will deliver me? So if I feel feelings of concern or worry, I go immediately right back to the Father. And I say, I trust you, God. I trust you, Jesus. And I do my part. That's where self-discipline kicks in. Self-control. You know, controlling my thoughts. So, you know, just seeing my mom constantly refute the things that I believe in. You know, the deliverance and then the whole thing with Laura. You know, her making that comment this morning. Laura would never act like that. She's a woman of propriety and a woman of respect. She would not act like a fool, you know, I mean, like a dancing, this lady was like a drunken fool dancing kind of thing, so I'm not saying she didn't dance, but anyhow, just wanted to capture all this because I really believe that my day is coming soon and I'm continuing, I'm seeing more fruit. It sounds like bragging, but I am, I'm boasting in the Lord. I mean, I'm seeing Jeremiah 17, chapter 5 through 8 come to true, the man who trusts in God, in man Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who puts his confidence in flesh. But blessed is the man, it goes on in verse 7 to say, but blessed is the man who trusts in God, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out into the stream. He does not fear when heat comes. His leaves or its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. I'm seeing in my life, in my experience, that God's word is true. If I had $100,000 in the bank right now in this moment, and I had my own place, my own car, child support's paid, and everything's honky-dory in my life, nobody could ever say to me, Michael, you don't understand my circumstances. You don't have to worry. You don't have to have fear because your circumstances are great. You don't have to live in panic and anxiety and worry. You don't have to be concerned about the consequences like I do. This is exactly what people would say, and God is giving me an opportunity to prove to other people that you can have peace in spite of miserable, stinking circumstances. I mean, God is amazing. Oh, it's coffee season. There's barely a place to park. Oh, bro. Anyhow, it is absolutely amazing to see God's unbelievable faithfulness. Unbelievable faithfulness. I am so happy with my God. I'm not excited about my circumstances, but I have peace in spite of my circumstances. One little message I want to capture in case I don't. This morning during Bible study, in case I forget, this morning during Bible study, this 
this consciousness of the difference between the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and New Testament, New Covenant continues to rise to the surface in my meditation and study time. And one observation I've made, again, is that the Old Testament is largely external covenant. The New Testament is largely an internal covenant. So in the Old Testament, we followed laws external of an inside reflection of righteousness. It was a commitment to follow the rules which are outside of yourself, not having the heart of the law inside of you. It was really just about do this, do this. That's all an external rule following. God was external. His spirit did not dwell in man. His spirit dwelled in an ark or it dwelled in a tabernacle or it dwelled in a cloud or it dwelled in a holy of holies. So God was external of his followers. The rewards or the covenant agreement, meaning a covenant is if you do this, I do this. And the covenant in the Old Testament was if you will obey me, I will bless you. And the prosperity was an external prosperity, an external blessing. So we see material blessing, crops, protection for family, lots of animals, lots of land. It was all prosperity, what we would now refer to as material blessings. And this was how you knew you were in line with God. This was a sense of your joy. This is where your satisfaction, your peace, your hope. And this is how you could acknowledge that God was for you and not against you and that God was faithful. And could be trusted because you had evidence or fruit in your life in these external blessings. Well, in the New Testament, we see a different covenant come into play. We see Jesus say something odd. He says to his followers, he's talking about, you know, not worrying about your life, not worrying about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. You know, is life not more important than food and your body more important than clothes? He's telling all these things and you go, but wait, Lord, these are really some real things. He says, do not be afraid, O little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom of heaven. They were not given the kingdom of heaven under the old covenant. They were given external blessings. In the New Testament, we have internal blessings. We have prosperity of the soul. People need to get this. We have prosperity of the soul without having to have the material blessings. Paul says, if we have food and shelter, food and clothing, we will be content with that. Okay? Contentment can only come as a result of an internal blessing, an internal peace, an internal joy. He's not living, woe is me, I'm a martyr, I'm miserable. No, he has found his joy in something else, something internal rather than the external blessing. So, for example, if a person right now is convinced that the million dollar business they're wanting to start or the new car or the new relationship or the, the money to pay their rent or the new career or the new ministry or whatever it is they're looking for. If they're convinced that then they'll be happy if they get that, then they'll feel secure, then they'll feel um, pleasure, they'll feel good about life. If I could snap my finger and give them the feelings that are the effect of having those things in their life without having those things, they wouldn't need those things. Those things are a means to an end. We must realize that. You desire the things not for the things. You desire the things for how they will make you feel. A person or an automobile or money or fame or fortune or power, you do not desire because of the thing itself. If I gave you the thing but I didn't give you the feeling that came with it, you wouldn't need the feeling. You wouldn't need the thing. This is what God brings. <clears throat> God says, I can give you now through the kingdom of heaven in your heart, in your soul, 
the feeling of joy, of rest, of peace, of contentment, of provision, of abundant life, life to the full. I can give you this without you having to strive and chase for all of these possessions. For man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Okay? What can a man give for his soul? What does it profit a man to give his whole life or to, to gain the whole world and lose his very life? So, Jesus isn't calling us to a life of miserable subexistence, you know, self-sacrifice, martyrdom. He's calling us to trade up. And he's saying, look, I can give you everything that you get that's even temporary. So, for example, the, the quote, external blessings, the material things we go after, the feeling we get from those is temporary at best. Temporary at best. Okay? They give us a little high, but then we need more. Jesus can give us something that never goes away, and it doesn't come with the hassle of having to strive to get all the material blessings, of having to maintain all the material blessings. Man, think about all the things you have that actually own you. You constantly are maintaining them, putting money into them, putting time into them, having your time and attention distracted from them. You can have the lasting effects of what materialism, material things bring into your life without all the hassle. That's the best deal in the universe. This is true. Now, people hear this message and they say that can't be true. The reason why people feel that this can't be true is because they've never experienced it. Until you experience God, and this is the only way you can get to that joy, is not through paper faith, but that you would experience and know. Jesus said, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. He's saying, look, put your eyes on the experience and the encounters that you have seen. It's an experiential faith. Once you have that, all of these other desires, you begin to see them for what they are. So it's not that God wants us to live poor. And yes, God can add material blessings to people's life, but I really believe that it comes that if a material blessing is added, to a person's life, it is only because they have found their true delight in Him first and God knows that that will simply be a cherry on top for an additional pleasure or reward for that person that will never take the place of Him or that it's to be passed on and stewarded to the help of other people. Because it is so possible to live with total contentment with having virtually nothing. I mean, I have more joy, more peace, more happiness, more sense of hope in my life, less fear, less worry, less anxiety than I've ever had in my entire life, and yet I have the worst circumstances I've ever had. How can that be? How can that be? This is because my Father has been pleased to give me the kingdom of heaven who dwells in me. Hallelujah, praise God. i got to help people understand this. Today is October 27th, 2013. Had a wonderful, wonderful message at church this morning by Pastor Rusty and uh, got to hang out afterwards. We went to um, lunch with Anthony, this new uh, guy that my parents had met and he's been to my Bible study one time and got to hear his unbelievable story. And he and I have such similar paths just from different sides of the railroad track. And I was just so blessed 
I just, my spirit just rejoices over what God has done and is doing in this guy's life, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do. And so I'm going to just connect up with him and try and continue to just encourage him in whatever way I could possibly encourage him. And the uh, the main thing, the main point I want to cover today is that I just watched this incredible message. Tom Talley came up to me at church this morning and said, Michael, can you believe, he said, he said, Jensen Franklin is preaching these messages to you, brother. And I said, I know, man, the last couple of weeks and months, it's just been like he's been spot on with what I'm going through. He goes, man, you got to hear today's. And it was an amazing message about fighting the battle of fear. He talked about uh, Joshua being of good courage and the four reasons that God had for him being courageous. And then he talked about Peter wanting to get out of the boat and saying, I don't want mediocre faith. I don't want to just go down the stream. I want to get out of the boat. I want to make a difference. And um, just he broke down the messages of faith in these two stories. And it was so encouraging. It was so awesome about, you know, my situation and not quitting. And when everybody else around you is telling you, man, you're nuts, you're crazy. Or when the fear kicks in and says, quit, just give it all up. Don't quit because the people in the boat are dependent upon you and your courage and that your courage is not only going to affect you it's going to affect all those around and he said there was all these times I wanted to just quit and walk away from the ministry and I didn't I was too afraid to get up and speak and I didn't know how to do it and I didn't know how to run a church and I didn't know how to be a pastor and he said my fear my victory was tied to all of you he said you know look at the effect it would have had and it was just such an edifying message of those that will risk everything setting aside fear and living in faith and trusting in God to do amazing things. And today is the 27th of October. It's at least, I'm bad on numbers, but it's at least six months now that I'm behind on uh, child support because in faith I have followed the voice of the Lord and have said no. And one of the coolest things he pointed out about this message that reminds me of is he said the very first thing Peter says is is that you Lord when Jesus beckons him he says is that you Lord he said he didn't say is it safe he didn't say I'm afraid he didn't say how do I get from here to there what do I need to do what will other people think you know what if I drown he didn't say any of that stuff he just said is that you? And it was the idea that if if you know, he said, the only thing you need to ask when God's asking you to do something difficult or you're going through something hard is just ask, Lord, is that you? And man, I have to tell you that those words come out of my mouth to my doubters all the time. I say, I know how to hear from the Father and I know how to trust Him. That's it. I've, God's got a track record with me. And so even though my situation looks stupid, I mean, who would get out of a boat and walk on the water? I don't know why I have forgotten about this story, but I started to sink several times and God has lifted me back up. I, I can't say several times, but there was one time in particular where I got really close and started to sink. And I thought, man, what will happen if I quit now? What will happen if I quit? My situation is dire. You know, what, what person could use logic to say, oh, Jesus told you to get out of the boat and walk on water? Oh, cool, that makes a lot of sense. What person would say that? Put your own life at risk, you could die and drown, it's the middle of the storm, and he tells you to get out of the boat and walk? Hello? No, that's not good. So, it just really was very, very encouraging. 
And one of the things I remembered as I'm thinking about my whole situation is here I'm six months into this terrible circumstance. My phone has been off for at least two and a half months. That's probably been one of the biggest blessings that I could have never imagined having. I feel like, and I, even it's interesting, I watched a message today also about um, Jimmy Evans on the marriage DVDs that I'm watching, trying to prepare already for my relationship with my wonderful bride, Laura, in faith. I'm already working on how can I be a better husband. And so I've, uh, I'm watching the DVDs, and in the message today, he talks about... Um, See, I got excited about talking about Laura, and I completely just missed my whole point. <laughs> oh, I forget the whole point. Oh, well, anyhow, I guess back to the fear thing is, I have realized, you know, here I'm listening to God, obeying Him to not take any money from anybody, to not take the jobs, and myself, oh, the technology... He said technology can be one of the biggest killers of a marriage relationship and any relationship. And I thought, how amazing is it that God has taken away my technology and it has absolutely increased my relationship with God. I It makes me not want to have a cell phone anymore or just have a phone that all that it can do is make phone calls. <clears throat> I'm thinking about not doing texting anymore. If you need me, call me. That, that really is a, is a good idea. I mean, that is really a good idea. In fact, I could eliminate month money off my bill by eliminating texting. That's a brilliant idea. Okay, so um, anyhow, that's happened. I haven't had my phone. And nothing else. There's been really no other consequences other than my enemy's been given an opportunity to, you know, say bad things about me. And I'm sure get even more angry at me and stuff like that. But I started to realize what consequences has there been? If I've ever worried, when I have worried or been afraid of this, what circumstances ever came to reality such that I needed to have worried? There's not a single consequence that has occurred yet where I can say, oh God, why did you let me go through this? There may have looked like consequences, there may, I could maybe worry about consequences. What good would that do? And what, what consequences have there been yet? None. So God's faithfulness right now, God told me to do this. I'm in this situation. So who could have thought that six months later, there would be no detrimental consequences? And once again, you know, we're at dinner last night with Jim and Sandra and my parents and all of them are talking about primarily my mom bringing up going to jail. And Sandra, you know, my mom says, will you come and visit, you know, Michael with us in jail? And Sandra's like, you know, if that's what he wants. And I'm like, look, guys, I don't want a mar I'm not I'm not signed up to be a martyr. God's going to deliver me. God doesn't want me to go to jail. But if I had to go to jail, I'm not afraid of it. The bottom line is I'm obeying God and I trust him for the results. But he's not interested in just punishing me and killing me. He is my will, but not my being. And so I, um, you know, once again, I get to see how my mom even said last night, she said, it's the first time she's seen that Sandra hasn't rolled her eyes at some things I've said. I understand people rolling their eyes. I get it. 
I'm glad to have the naysayers. And I told them last night, I declared, I said, guys, you just watch what God is going to do. There's an audience, and the reason I'm sharing this with you guys now is because you're on the inside circle, and my mom brought it up. You guys talk about it, but God is going to deliver me. And they were asking all about Laura. They kept asking about Laura and Jim's like, and so, you know, where are we at with Laura right now? And they kept joking because I'd get on Laura and then direct. And then they'd say, but where are we at with Laura now? And I'm like, you know, guys, here's where we're at. And I, I just would tell them the story. And I'm like, look, I know it seems foolish. I know it seems ridiculous, but you're just going to have to trust. And when you see it, then you'll know. I tell you these things in advance so that when they happen, you will believe, just like Jesus did. So anyhow, I've been going through all that, and then I got a call to the mountain today, so I'm coming to pray and get strengthened up and talk to my daddy. So that's where I'm at now. I'm sitting out here in the woods memorizing John 12, 24, and 25, which says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then Jesus goes on to say, the man who loves his life will lose it. But the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And I started thinking to myself, the idea that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. And I look at what's happened in my life after I died meaning I literally died to myself. I sacrificed, I gave up and said, okay, I'm done. And I got on my knees and died to myself. Since that time, there are starting to be multiple seeds planted. There's only been a few actual new people that have received Jesus Christ through the website and the sharing of the gospel. It's interesting, as I look at the seeds that are being produced, the seeds that are being produced are the seeds of the same kind. Meaning, I'm a seed of, I had already been, I had already received the gospel. I already believed in God, believed in Jesus, believed in the Bible. I just hadn't been surrendered to God, and so I was not enjoying Him as Lord or the fruit thereof. And so now, I see that those are the same kind of seeds I'm producing. People that already know about the Bible, believe God, believe Jesus, but they're not allowing Him to be the Lord. They have not yet surrendered or died. And so I'm producing the same kind of seeds that were produced in me, or the same kind of seed I was. And God, in His mercy, has chosen to remove the weeds and the thorns that were choking off, you know, my seed. And now, he's turning around and doing that same thing with mine. So, seeds, just goes to show you, produce seeds of their own kind. I'm not primarily an evangelist. I'm primarily a man who wants to help people that have a fruitless, deedless Christian walk. Not so much deedless, because... There's lots of Christians with deeds that don't have any fruit. <laughs> and um, But people that know about God, to know Him. Yesterday I had a meeting with my friend David. And David is still struggling openly with being lonely. And um, having come off the divorce and 
still struggling with thoughts of trying to, you know, maybe put that old divorce back together or find the woman. And I have such um, sympathy and empathy for him, actually, because I know what it feels like to have been, you know, failed in a relationship or, like in my instance, thrown away. And then you have this hole and you want to fill that hole quickly. And I, I look back at how, you know, um, just unwise it seems like, but, you know, you act out of your feelings. And so the feelings are not so good. But I um, told him yesterday that he really needs to focus on getting his relationship with with God right first, that God will honor him and his desire for a relationship with a woman if he'll honor God first in his life, and he recognizes it. And I told him, I said, you know, I must be getting close to being able to um, have my relationship with Laura start because I'm at a place where I can live without her. And he said, you know, Mike, he said, I have noticed, like, you know, you're not anxious. And I said, no, I said, and I used to be. And I said, but now I'm in this place where I could live without her. Like if God, you know, pulled the plug and, and said no, I mean, would I be disappointed? Of course I would. But I wouldn't be crushed to the point where, oh, how am I going to live and go on? No, not at all. I mean, do I still pray for her and love her and desire to have a relationship with her? Absolutely I do. But there's just a, a healthiness about it that God is truly my everything. My biggest desire of my heart right now is to be able to pay my child support every month. If God will help me to pay my child support every month, which I know he will when he's ready, then I am the most content guy on the planet. I don't need anything for myself. What I want is for my kids. And I can live without having Laura. Um, I don't want to, but I absolutely can and will be content. And I, I feel so thankful that God has made me wait this long. Because if God would have given her to me even 60 days ago, I mean, honestly, even 30 days ago, I would not have been ready. I would not have been ready. I would have um, still desired things in that relationship that I needed to be getting only from God. And right now, all of my expectations are being met by God. And so when Laura shows up, according to God's timing, if he's still willing, I will be able to love her and her children out of the overflow of what God is giving me. I will not go into this relationship, by God's grace, needy, saying, what can I get out of this relationship? On the contrary, I am thrilled in my heart to go into this relationship with a deep capacity to give to her. I really don't go into this going, man, what can I get out of this? I'm looking forward to serving her and her children. I mean, what a transformation God has done in my heart in the last year. This is only by God's grace. I mean, man, I look back and go, man, I was not ready. I was not ready. It's embarrassing. I mean, was I a good man? Yes. Did I love God? Yes. Would I have been a good husband? Yes. But... God had to work some things out of me and work some things in me that still were not ready yet. Praise Jesus Christ for his timing. It's 5.37 in the morning on October 29th, 2013. I'm headed to my uh, second of the uh, discipleship courses with our meetings with Pastor Rusty and the group of guys that he's kind of discipling. And um, this morning, I realized uh, there yesterday I'd been seeing this new number actually for 
several days. I had been seeing this new number, 1144. This morning I looked it up, and to my amazement, it's the it's page 1144 in my Bible. It takes you straight to the passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through, I think it's 8. And this is the scripture that's, you know, blessed is the man, I'm sorry, rather cursed is the man who puts his trust in man, whose confidence is in the flesh. And then it goes on to say, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And I just looked at that and I'm like, man, God is good. I've had that scripture at the top of my faith list, my little sheet of paper with faith verses on it for over a month. And I feel like when I saw it this morning, the Spirit reminded me that I need to teach this to other men. Yesterday, a guy said, Mike, I need you to be there for me, man. I, I just, I need to know that when I'm in trouble, I can call you and you'll answer. And um, I feel like God just showed me this morning with that scripture how important it is to teach men from day one that they must put their trust in the Lord, not in man. Don't put your trust in me. Put your trust in the Lord. So does that mean that I'm not supposed to help you when you're in trouble? No. But what I felt like God is showing me in the Spirit is that we must run to Him first. And so I saw myself telling men, guys, don't call me until you've called on Him. In other words, don't call me and then pray. Pray first, seek Him, get in His Word, and then call me. I think that... Obviously, in the very beginning, as a young Christian, you have to learn how to understand God's ways, and you have to learn how to trust God by learning from men. But I also think that here I am teaching my children, you know, when you have a need, I don't tell them, come to daddy, me. I tell them to go to their real daddy, you know, their, their, their more real daddy, their heavenly daddy, first in prayer. And they're, you know, <clears throat> my nine-year-old. Dad, I got an answer to prayer. You know, mom and grandma and coach are not talking bad about you anymore. And I prayed and asked God for this, and they haven't done this in two weeks. And here's my nine-year-old testifying that she prayed and God answered her prayer. She's trusting in God at nine years old. Now, I taught her how to trust in God. I didn't tell her, come to me every time you have a problem. Now, they obviously know that if they have a legitimate need, they need to come to their father. But I'm going, man, she's nine years old and she's doing it. She's doing what us adults don't do so easily. So, I also had been praying this morning about the sexual thing, about wanting to share transparently my own story with the, the, the sexual sin that I had and premarital sex and my relationship with that one girlfriend I had and then the situation I had with the other girl where Satan was just eating my lunch and deceived me in a way I, I really couldn't see coming. And I've been praying about sharing this yesterday in a meeting with Chris, one of my guys. He begged me to share it because he said, Mike, I need to know how to get free. He said, I set down pornography since our Thursday night meeting. So he's not wanting to go back to it. So I need to check on with him this morning, by the way, and see, make sure he's doing okay. But this morning I've been praying. I'm like, God, do you want me to share this with these guys? And do you want me to do it in video? Because it's a huge risk to do something like this. But I don't feel 
any fear at all, really, about it. I'm not worried about me. The only person I'm concerned about is my future wife and her family. I worry a little bit. What if they're not in the same place that I am and what if they judge me? Because that is one of the problems of putting, you know, your stuff out there is that people will judge you. And I have no fear of what any person, not anybody, I'm not afraid of what my pastor, I'm not afraid of what any person. And the interesting thing is, is that I do not have a single need. Boy, this is a good lesson right here. I do not have a single need being met by a human being right now that God can't meet such that I'm afraid to upset or offend or be judged by a human being and take a chance of losing that need being met. I don't have anybody in my life. There's an 811. Bless God's heart. Bless my heart. I have got to put focus today on memorizing the teachings of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I know that God is pleased with the work I'm doing. But man, he just keeps telling me to finish the work. And I'm being disobedient every day I go. I've been trying to get it in here and there, but I've got to make a concerted effort today to do that. But staying on track with the message, I don't have any needs being met by people that I'm afraid to hurt their feelings or afraid to have them judge me. But that is not true with my future wife. And I do want to operate in discretion. I do want to be wise as a snake, as Jesus warns us to. And I've often noticed for two and a half years, I've only seen two snakes on the trail. And that's because they don't stick their necks out. They're hiding. And, um, but I, I see men being set free by my transparency. I see that men go, man, Mike struggled with that. Wow. And I want to help people get free. And so I'm now wondering, you know, what the Lord would have me do in this instance. I opened up, I felt like I was supposed to read the devotional while I was sitting waiting this morning, and it was called Transformational Teaching, and one of the things it talked about was sharing your teaching transparently and gently, your teaching, to help others, your, your, your life stories, what God has done in your life. So, you know, do I risk saying this and offending my future wife or her parents or her children, or do I come to the realization that I need not fear men, but I fear God. And that those people that I would fear judging me, they themselves struggle with these exact same things. And if they don't, they certainly will. And particularly my future wife's children. Am I to hide my stumble and subsequent victories such that they might remain down when they get knocked down? Or shall I let them know you can stumble, you can get up, you can win again? And so, you know, I'm, I'm praying about this. I'm praying about this. I know that discretion will protect me and understanding will guard me. But I also know I'm willing to be a risk taker and that my life is not my own anymore. My life belongs to the Lord. And so am I to shrink back? And, and, you know, I think this comes down to a trust issue. Do I trust God enough to guard the heart of my spouse and to 
protect Laura's heart in this and allow her to see my heart and know that I am not what I did. Am I, do, am I, do I trust God enough? Or do I say, oh no, I need to trust me. In other words, you know, am I still, aren't I still trying to protect myself a little bit? Aren't I still trying to play God by saying, oh Lord, thousands of people maybe, and I don't, I'm saying this humbly, let's just even say 10 men's lives could be set dramatically free and they could step into a permanent level of victory such that they're fighting their battle from a position of victory. This is what I now see having come through this is that I am now fighting from a position of victory and freedom. I was fighting to get here and as I was fighting to get here the devil was fighting against me but now I fight from a place of victory and freedom and once you get there you don't want to do anything to let that be gone. But there's so many people that are so close and yet the enemy is fighting like crazy to keep them held in bondage because he knows once they get free, they're in trouble. I remember Pastor Rusty saying to me, he said to me, Michael, if you'll get out of the game on this and you will allow the Lord to strengthen you in this area, the devil will regret the day he ever messed with you in this way. And man, I tell you, that is so true. I'm already seeing that that's true. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to continue to pray about it, but I'm really believing that God may really want me to share this and to get this out with these men and, and help them understand that they they need to trust God first. Okay, that's the message for this morning. Interestingly enough, it was just 11.44. <laughs> Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It was 11 minutes and 44 seconds when I looked down at them. Yes, Father. I love you, God. Thank you for confirming. Thank you.